You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Monza review episode, and of course, it is brought to you by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. I'm flying solo for today's episode, but we have a ton to cover, which is generally not the case when we beat up on a weaker club. I have three parts for you today. In part one, I'll talk about Kavara, Osimen, and Kim. In part two, I'll talk about some subtle but very interesting comments made by Luciano Spalletti after the match. And in part three, we'll tie up some loose ends, including the officiating, Diego Demme, and Andrea Petagna, before closing with Napoli's chances of winning the Scudetto. So let's get right into it. Napoli won 4-0 on goals from Kvica Kvarskelia. He scored a doppietta. Victor Osimen and Kim Min-Jay scored the others. We started the last review episode with the play of our new players, and as much as I hate to be repetitive, I think we have to start with the play of Cavada. With his two goals, he now leads the league with three goals to go along with one assist. The first was an exquisite tiragiro that he basically created out of nothing. If you head over to the official Lega Serie A YouTube channel, they have a video up where you can watch that goal from every single camera angle available. That wasn't just a beautiful goal, it was also an important one because up until that point, Napoli were creating all kinds of chances, but not taking them. That goal opened up the floodgate somewhat. Now if you're wondering about the symbol Cavada made during his celebration, apparently that is the Georgian letter N. His girlfriend, who was in attendance for this match, is named Nitsa, so he dedicated that goal to her. 
His second goal started with Stanislav Lobotka intercepting Matija Valotti's pass, which he played dangerously into the middle of the park. Once again, Lobotka showed how he can change pace and run at the opponent. And then there was the turn by Cavada, the drop of the shoulder, as Patrick Hendrick always says. That's something I mentioned a couple of episodes ago when I compared a 21-year-old Cavada to a 31-year-old Insigne. That is, Insigne became a little bit predictable as he got older. Defenders knew that he would cut to his right and go for that tirajiro, while Cavada has the ability to drop his shoulder and shoot with his left. That makes him exponentially more difficult to defend. Defenders will have to guess whether he's going to shoot or fake. Now, curiously, on Monday, Cavada's predecessor, Lorenzo Insigne, posted a couple of videos of him doing the tirajiro on his Instagram story. One was the goal he scored against Lazio in the 5-2 win during the 2019-20 season, and the other was a repost from his brother Marco of the tirajiro he scored in the Euros. That proved to be the winner over Belgium in the quarterfinals, and of course, Insigne went on to win the cup. Now, we can only speculate as to why Insigne posted these videos, but it seems a little bit too coincidental to be random. Some have speculated that he was responding to Napoli fans online who, after seeing Cavada's performance, basically said that we don't need Insigne anyways. I'd suggest that it could have been in response to some of the papers saying that Cavada's tirajiro is better than Lorenzo's. Corriere della Sera said Cavada's curling shot is something Napoli is used to, but if possible, that of Cavada's Helia is even more rare than that of Insigne. Corriere dello Sport pointed out that Cavada has already scored as many goals from open play as Insigne did all of last season. Whatever the reason, I don't think Insigne's post was particularly well received by Napoli fans. Now, I can understand if Insigne was annoyed that after all these years he'd given to Napoli, fans were so quick to declare Cavada better than him, but it wasn't a very good look. It just came off as if he was trying to shit on Cavada's moment and he should have just stayed quiet. Corriere dello Sport added that only three Napoli players have scored in each of their first two games, Lorenzo Tonelli, Edinson Cavani, and Jose Callejon. So aside from Tonelli, Cavada's in really good company there. It was actually a rare occasion where the papers, all of the papers, North, South, Central, had nothing but good to say about Napoli and their young star in the making. La Repubblica called Cavada the symbol of the Italian Revolution, which I find a bit odd considering he's not Italian. They added that he repeated the great test in Verona and dragged his companions to an easy win over Monza at the Maradona. And Tutto Sport said that Cavada, who's never set foot in any of the top five leagues, is the Serie A top goalscorer and he's not even at his best yet. They added that if Spalletti is right about that, then Juntoli has made another big purchase that will make Napoli strong and make the club rich. That reference is to a quote in Spalletti's post-match conference where he said that Cavada has too much pressure on him. He said as soon as he frees himself of these pressures, then he will show what a player he is and that he can do more. I think Spalletti was correct in his assessment that Cavada sometimes holds onto the ball a little too long and that he needs to pass quicker and that will allow him to preserve his energy and then he reiterated that Cavada is a strong player that has yet to show all of his qualities. Last point on Cavada before I move on, you might have heard that this summer we signed a sponsorship deal with match-worn shirts. Cavada's shirt has blown away the competition. As of the time of recording, it's at $3,313. 
The next highest shirts belong to the two other goal scorers. Kim Min Jae is at $828 and Victor Osiman is at $703, while the rest of the team are less than $400, but in total, they are around $12,000. For Victor, that was his second goal of the season, so we could end up with a nice competition for top scorer in the team, maybe even top scorer in the league. My money is still on Victor, but what's more important than who scores more goals is that they seem to be linking up really well, as they are with Lozano. They all seem to be looking for each other in the attack. I thought there were a couple of occasions where Cavada probably could have gone for goal, but he tried to pass to Victor. Now, even though Victor scored, I think he's still heating up as well. He actually got quite a few chances before the goal, but struggled to hit the target. If Victor finds his form, at least as far as finishing goes, because otherwise he's playing really well, then look out. Now, maybe it's because he's already scored in each game, but I do sense from Osimen that winning is genuinely more important to him than scoring goals, though obviously the two go hand in hand. I absolutely loved how Osimen was smiling, clapping, and bouncing up and down while the fans at the Maradona sang Un Giorno all'improvviso. I only wish a few of his teammates joined him, but if we keep playing this way, there will be many more opportunities for that. Back to the Osimen goal, the passing in the midfield during the buildup was a sight to be seen. That was Spalletti ball at its finest. The goal started with a Napoli throw-in inside our own half. Mario Rui switched the play to Rachmani. He passed to Angisa in the midfield, and it was just quick touches and passes between Angisa, Lobotka, and Zielinski after that. In total, we played only seven passes after the throw-in, and the ball went from sideline to the back of the goal in only 18 touches. The entire sequence took only 19 seconds. We talked about Lobotka and Zielinski in the Hellas Verona review. We didn't talk much about Angisa, but he was very good in that match as well. The trio have been phenomenal through the first two matches. I don't think too many people would disagree with that sentiment. Okay, the last person I want to mention in part one is Kim Min Jae. A week after Kalidou Koulibaly scored his first goal for Chelsea, and on the same day that Kalidou Koulibaly got himself sent off for Chelsea, Kim scored his first goal for Napoli. Kim actually came close on a couple of headers earlier in the match, so it was nice to see him get on the score sheet. Like Cavada, Kim dedicated his goal to his significant other. He posted a picture on his Instagram dedicating the goal to his wife. And like in the Hellas Verona match, even though he wasn't terribly busy at the back, he made a couple of important interventions when he needed to, so good start all around. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about some interesting comments from Luciano Spalletti after the match, and we'll talk about how he might integrate Ndombele, Simeone, and Raspadori. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Betstamp. 
With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sportsbooks in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts, and best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, royalties, or commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Next, let's talk about Spalletti's comments after the match. In particular, Spalletti was asked about how he would insert the new players, and his response was that he may not insert them. He said sure he would insert them if they show that they want to and are in a condition to give the team a hand. Lastly, he said they want the team to be stronger, but not because they are new or because they are nice names. Spalletti also said that he gave the subs he chose time to play, as it was the respectful thing to do for how hard they've trained. Now, I don't know if this was a spontaneous response or if it was premeditated, but I'm inclined to think it was the latter. Anyone who watched Spalletti's episode of Linea di Letta knows that there is a reason behind everything Spalletti says and does. While I think that Spalletti literally meant that he needs to give the new guys time to learn the system and settle in, I also think that his comments were the ultimate in terms of mental gymnastics because he accomplished many different things with one single statement. First, he showed a bit of love to guys like Politano, Zerbin, and Unas, who really do work really hard in the hopes of getting an opportunity to play. I don't think Politano will go anywhere this season, especially after the start we've had, but Spalletti might have been showcasing Zerbin and Unas, who could well be sold before the end of the summer mercato. I think Spalletti was also giving the new guys a bit of an ultimatum. Now obviously, it's easier to say that when the guys we have starting are playing really well, but I completely agree that those guys should not be handed playing time simply because they are new or because they are high profile names. They have to earn a spot in the starting 11. This is the deepest squad we've had certainly in the ADL era and maybe ever. The only team that was better was Maradona's Napoli, but back then you only had 4 or 5 bench players, so you didn't have a whole lot of squad depth by definition. We've had some very strong teams in the last decade or so, 2011, 2012, and 2017, 2018 to name a few, but those teams weren't deep. They just had players like Cavani, Lavezzi, Hamsik, and Merton, so the starting 11s were really good, but we couldn't really rotate much because we did not have deep benches. So, this will create some healthy competition within the squad, which is perfectly fine. With the Champions League, there will be plenty of important minutes to go around. And let's not forget that in each of the last two seasons, we've had periods with about 10 players injured all at once. Hopefully that does not happen again, but now we're better equipped to manage a situation like that. I also think that with these comments, Spalletti is taking a more authoritative role. The senatori of the squad are gone, the capitano is gone, the comandante is gone, and the squad is much younger than it was before, while there are a lot of new faces. So Spalletti needs to show these guys that he is in charge, and perhaps when he told Victor to go take a shower during training, he was doing the exact same thing. Finally, I think Spalletti is keeping his cards close to his chest. He is a meticulous planner, so it would be naive of us to think that he doesn't already have a plan for Ndombele, Simeone, and Raspadori. I'd be very surprised if Spalletti benched a player like Raspadori, who he paid 35 million euros for, so in all likelihood Spalletti told De Laurentiis that he would say something to this effect and not to worry. ADL loves the drama, so he would have no problems 
going along with something like this. Alternatively, Spalletti might have just meant what he said literally, and I just cooked all of this up in my head. It does beg the question though, with how well we are playing, how do we integrate the new players into the squad? I'll give you my thoughts on that in a second, but if you head over to ForzanapoliPress.com, we have a piece up from our good friend David Ferrini. David was kind enough to share a piece that he wrote on his Substack page assessing whether Napoli have the best attack in Italy, so be sure to check that out. So let me give you some quick thoughts on how I think Ndombele, Simeone, and Raspadori will fit into this team. Positionally, I think Ndombele is a like-for-like replacement for Fabian, though they have different qualities. Both are great at distributing the ball, but Ndombele is much quicker and more skilled on the ball. The big question surrounding Ndombele is his work ethic. Every single person I speak to that followed him at Tottenham says the exact same thing. He's an incredible talent, but he does not work hard enough. That will be Spalletti's main challenge with him. Ndombele was a phenomenon at Lyon before he fell out of Jose Mourinho's favor at Tottenham. I'm hoping that a little Neapolitan charm can restore his confidence. I have no evidence to support this, but the way he was smiling when he was greeted by Napoli fans at Villa Stuart gave me a sense that this is a man who just needed to be loved and appreciated again. Simeone is a like-for-like replacement for Petania. That should be an upgrade, but time will tell. He's had the occasional down season, but in three of his five Serie A campaigns, Cholito scored at least 12 goals. He exploded last season with 17 goals, but he tended to score in bunches. He scored four against Lazio, three against Juve, two against Venezia, and then three in the return leg against Venezia. That will be difficult to repeat playing as a substitute, but he could also be played alongside Victor if we need to score. The clubs we are likely to need goals against are the top clubs, and last season he was very good against the top clubs. I mentioned Lazio and Juve, he scored in the return leg against Juve as well, he got an assist against Roma, he scored against us, and he got a goal and an assist over the two matches against Atalanta. But the big question is, how do we integrate Giacomo Raspadori into the squad? For me, the best formation to get Raspadori into the starting 11 is by going back to the 4-2-3-1 and playing Jack in the number 10. As Spalletti has noted, Zielinski is playing much better playing 10 yards deeper in the 4-3-3. He struggled mightily in the second half of last season playing in the 10 and ultimately lost his spot to Mertens. Now, that doesn't mean we fix something that ain't broken. I think Spalletti will continue to roll with Zielinski while he's playing well and give Raspadori time to get up to speed. Right now we're only playing once a week, but soon enough we'll be playing twice a week and that's when we'll see the true value of having both Raspadori and Zielinski. On top of that, Raspadori can play in a variety of positions. So like I mentioned about Simeone, Raspadori can be used to give us a different look if things are not going as planned. In addition to the 10, he can play on either wing, he can be an alternate to Osimen as a false 9, or he can play next to Osimen as a second striker. Finally, Raspadori is, in a way, an insurance policy. The early signs from Zielinski are promising, but in the event he falters like he did last season, we now have Raspadori to fill the void that Mertens filled last season. So between the schedule and appearances off the bench, there will be plenty of opportunities for all players to play, and when all are available, we have the luxury of choosing whoever is in form. That will do for part two. 
in part three, we'll tie up some loose ends and we'll touch on Napoli's chances of winning the Scudetto. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to part three of the Fortsanopoly podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at Patreon.com forward slash pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers. But it does help us provide more content. With that support, we were able to create our website, ForzaNapoliPress.com, where you can find even more content about Napoli in English. Okay, let's close the pod with a few small stories in and around this match. First, I want to quickly comment on two refereeing decisions, or non-decisions really. The first was the tackle by Gianluca Caprari on Stanislav Lobotka where he appeared to put his studs into the side of Lobotka's knee. For the life of me, I do not understand how that was not a direct red card. Now the league did say at the start of the season that they will officiate games the way the EPL does, meaning they are going to allow the players to play, i.e. call fewer fouls. But only two rounds into the season, we've already seen a wild inconsistency in officiating which is probably the only consistent as far as officiating goes. And I suspect that even in the EPL, that would have been a direct red card. Thankfully, that did not change the outcome of the match. Who knows? Maybe if Caprari was sent off, Monza would have played 10 behind the ball for the rest of the match, and it would have been more difficult for us to score. The other non-call was the apparent handball by Andrea Ranocchia on Anguissa's shot in the first half. I actually think the officials got this one right, As I understand it, the rule is that if the ball hits a legal part of the body before it hits the hand, then it is not a hand ball. On the replay, it does look to me like the ball hits Ranocchia's ribcage first, and then it hits his hand. At best, there was no clear and obvious error, and since the penalty was not initially given, it makes sense to me that the decision was not overturned. One decision the officials definitely got right was to overturn Andrea Petania's goal in the second half. He clearly shoved Rachmani in the back before heading the ball into the back of the goal. There was a nice moment caught on camera at the end of the match where Petania, Rachmani, and Osimen appeared to be talking about that play and having a good laugh. Petania spoke to zone after the match where he said that the Maradona was magnificent, the fans were extraordinary. He added that he has many friends in Napoli and that he hopes Napoli win the Scudetto. I thought that was pretty cool. I think we all agree that Petania is better suited for a team like Monza, but it does seem like he is a pretty stand-up guy. Okay, another story I wanted to quickly touch on is this whole Diego Demis story. If you haven't seen this, it all started on Friday when Demis' sister Katie posted about her brother's injury. She reposted the club's announcement of the injury with the hashtag hit by a teammate, followed by an angry face emoji and the words, yes, a one month stop is estimated. Then the following day, 
Diego himself posted on Instagram saying, Thank you for the messages. I am always positive, but this is a difficult moment because my injury happened because someone did not know how to control himself. The past cannot be changed, but the future, yes, stay positive. A lot of people were speculating that Andre Frank Zamboangisa is the teammate who caused the injury, but we don't really know for sure. Either way, Demme was berated on social media to the point where he actually deactivated his Instagram account. He then activated the account on Sunday and posted again before the match saying, My way of putting something like this online was bad. We talked about everything. We are united. The most important thing is always the team. Today is the first home game. Spalletti touched on the situation after the match as well, saying we are all sorry for what happened to Demme. He said the first to run over to him was the person who he had the episode with. He accepted the apology and then he had that hot reaction, but then he apologized further like the other apologized to him, and we need them both. I personally was not impressed at all with this from Diego Demme. If it wasn't for the fact that we don't really have a backup to Lobotka other than Demme, I would just say get rid of him because that kind of attitude is not good for the locker room. It seems to me like no matter how well we play, there's always some sort of off-the-field drama, but I am glad that they nipped it in the butt. The last thing I want to comment on is whether we should be considering Napoli Scudetto contenders after these first two matches. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that I am very conservative on this subject. I try my best to not get ahead of myself, and that's probably because I've been scarred in the past, and even though I'm not exactly superstitious, I also don't want to jinx anything. But I don't have a problem with people saying that we need to see how Napoli play against more difficult competition. That seems to trigger a lot of Napoli fans who feel like we don't get the respect that we deserve, and that's probably true, but the reality is that Hellas Verona are really poor this season, and while I think Monza will get better, at the moment, they are just a collection of individuals. I think the match against Fiorentina on Sunday will be a better test, though Fiorentina haven't been terribly impressive themselves, we'll preview that match later in the week. But we really haven't played a strong enough team to know what this team is capable of. I said only half-joking on Twitter that we won't know how good this Napoli team is until we play against Spezia and Empoli because in fact, it's not the big clubs who have hurt us over the past few seasons, it was those two clubs. Josh was correct to point out that beating Hellas Verona was a good start as they've caused us problems over the past few seasons as well. Of course, our inability to beat them in the final round two seasons ago cost us Champions League play last season. Now, many Napoli fans have been quick to point out the struggles of the other top clubs during the opening two rounds. Inter needed a last-minute goal to beat Lecce in the opening round, though they dominated that match and they handled Spezia quite comfortably. Milan got some favorable officiating decisions in their win over Udinese and then dropped points to Atalanta. It remains to be seen how good Atalanta are. Juve looked really impressive in their opening game against Sassuolo, but then they looked dreadful in their draw against Sampdoria, and they've already got a bit of an injury crisis with Chiesa, Pogba, Di Maria, and Bonucci all hurt. Roma got a comfortable 1-0 win over Salernitana and a very uncomfortable 1-0 win over Cremonese. They have a couple of big injuries as well. Gini Wijnaldum is out until sometime next year with a fractured tibia, and Nicolo Zaniolo hurt his shoulder in the Cremonese match, so he is expected to be out for 3-4 to four weeks. 
Finally, Lazio managed a 2-1 win over Bologna after their keeper was sent off in the opening minutes, and then they drew Torino 0-0 in a bit of a snooze fest. So Napoli have fared quite well compared to the other six sisters. That said, the other club's struggles still says nothing about how good we are. Spalletti's teams always seem to start strong and then taper off, while over the past few seasons, Inter, Milan, and Juve started slow, but eventually found their groove and finished really well. What I will say is, the way Cavada has scored his goals, it doesn't really matter who the opponent is, even the best clubs cannot stop moments of brilliance. And, as I said before, this is the deepest squad we've ever had. So, if we can integrate the new players and get everyone to buy in, then in my mind, there's no reason why we should not compete for the Scudetto. That is where I will leave it. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Pod. I will be back later in the week to preview our next match, which is against Fiorentina, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.